supposed to be stuffed into day two. <clears throat> this is a story about the Grateful Dead, LSD, Chuck Berry, Portland, the, uh, how do you say that word? The Bill Dung's Roman? It's also a story about UFOs, NHI, and, uh, Maybe something along the lines of like uh, destiny, or at least forks in the road. I haven't told this story to more than a handful of people. And uh, my inspiration for this was really reading, going through uh, Pasolka's second book on this stuff. And uh, taking note of some ancillary stories about uh, synchronicities and the like, and sort of scratching my chin about what level of level the levels of intensity at which people begin to take notice and say, wow, maybe the context is larger than I imagined, or maybe there are forces other than myself at play. We've, in terms of mainstream, been locked in right there for at least 35, maybe, you know, I wasn't aware much before that, so... had the impression that your West Coast old heads, a lot of them really did go just deep. That does seem to be some one thing about you can say about the boomers is when they fucking go, they go. There's no there's often not a lot of pussyfooting around. Fuck right and wrong, fuck feelings. It's just off they go. We were absolutely living in their world <clears throat> like uh, all these ideas and products that have now reached mainstream you know from Dr. Bronner's to organic to all of that stuff was around in the 70s right outside of Portland and Eugene right outside of um, you know up in Marin County and those surround those other counties surrounding Bay Area. These are, these are my my territories. So these are the ones I could speak of. I know as well that things were happening like in uh, upstate New York that were similar. Let's say I don't really have the impression that it's it's on par though. Pardon me, I could be wrong. In any event. This, this baby level, the infantilization absolutely extends into notions of, I mean, I don't even like to call it spirituality, but using this dumb shorthand because we're all so, we're all exposed to uh, the many, many tribes that I suppose it still is somewhat useful. 1995. 
I saw the Grateful Dead maybe five or six times in total. The real Grateful Dead. In my opinion, it's I'm not I'm not a massive Deadhead in any way. Um, I don't think I even own any of their albums right now. You can't deny the long the the power of this this cultural phenomenon, though. And if you weren't there, and I can't claim to you know have been there in 1977, but I was there in 1994. And there are many commenters online who were not being born at that time, or who who were like five, never saw the the actual lineup. <clears throat> Which to me would necessarily include Jerry Garcia. Buddies my age who I might talk about this stuff with. We look at uh, John Mayer. I think that's his name. And the, the idea that this guy is on the same level is completely retarded. The idea that he is somewhat somehow canonical to the Grateful Dead, you know, because he got with this later iteration of the band and um, filled in for a while. Maybe, maybe not. It's just laughable from my point of view um, this is not a guy who is particularly inventive or um, deep or devoted or anything else he came up at a time he's about my age where you know what Tom Bukovac calls you know uh, sports bar blues that was actually pretty big you couldn't really get away from it about this time like in Portland Around the 2000, you know, late 90s into the aughts, there were maybe five to ten dudes who ostensibly were sports bar blues guys who made their living. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe they played four or five nights a week and they probably did pretty okay. But they were absolute... Uh, shred fucking masters who could realistically have been studio guys in Nashville any day of the fucking week and really just used the blues as a jump off point. I can remember their faces and I, I'd have to look up their names, but you know, the point is like John Mayer never got even close to that. He picked up a few basic B.B. King sort of fucking warmed over riffs and then um, jumped right into being a pop star. This is not somebody that I need to take seriously as a, like uh, a fountain of wisdom, okay? So if you're 32 years old and you're spouting that short shit, just shut the fuck up. So 1995, this is the first year that I come back from college. I'm already multiple years of uh, deep research and experience. I get some tickets to, I think it was a two, maybe three day stand at Portland Meadows. That's right, the racetrack, which is now a lot of the videos that you see online, um, Marine Drive in this area, this is kind of like just over the Columbia River, which separates Washington State and Oregon. A lot of, a lot of people will live in Washington to avoid certain taxes and then come over and work in Oregon. <clears throat> you know, 15, 20 minute commute, if you play it right. But it, it's almost one of these Vancouver is not much. It's 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 better than it was. We lived there when we for a short time when I was very young. You know, it's all the same country, but 
the city's the city. And um, even, well, more so in the 80s. But that's kind of an odd little area geographically. You know, the way that the water must affect the land and these sorts of things. A couple of massive bridges. And it, it is true, once you're on the I-5 and you're, you're passing uh, Portland Meadows. There's a few other things that go down there. I believe there's some sort of a, I mean, the horses run there. And uh, there's like, I think there's a, a couple of different conference-y sorts of buildings, you know, where you have your, like, a knife show and this sort of shit. But uh, you're very close to Washington. You're very close to the... I think it's, uh, yeah, it's the Thunderbird Motel sign. Pretty famous sign, pretty cool. Anyway, you know this time where you're you just... You, you're just back from college. Everybody has um, nothing on their, you know, I guess some people wanted to do other things, but for the most part, it's about seeing your friends from high school and uh, catching up on what they did, going to parties, you know, maybe picking up some some loose ends, so to speak, that didn't quite get finished in the high school era. And those concerts, the headliner again was was the Grateful Dead with the real band. So it was actually good. And Chuck Berry was the opener. So I was 100% about it. I had, if they did three days, I don't recall. I had tickets to two days and went to both. The year before, I'd seen them in Eugene. Don't remember if there even was an opener on that one. But it sure as hell wasn't Chuck fucking Berry. And Chuck Berry was like, you know, 70-something probably at that point. And, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to watching Chuck Berry. The year before in Eugene, there was this acid going around called Jesus Christ. And it should have been called Jesus Christ. You can still read about it, I think, on the internet in various places. This was kind of a callback to the 60s in terms of how much of this stuff was loaded on per tab, its purity and whatnot. It was, it was no joke. And this was still around the next year. Generally, the way that this <clears throat> went down, if you weren't like a deadhead on tour, was you just showed up, you walk around, and there are all these individuals selling their various wares, fatty burritos. Um, back then it was like... Uh, Samuel Smith, you know, oatmeal stouts. Dudes rolling around with little coolers selling the 22s of those. And um, you'd hear people say, doses, doses, or, um, you know, kind buds, kind buds, Mr. Jackpots. And that's it, you know. I don't know when uh, all of American law enforcement decided to just let this shit go down, but there's no narcs in the audience. There's no, or in the, you know, in the crowd. There's nobody breathing down your neck. Surveillance was different as well, but I, I think it's probably even worse now, or easier now, depending on your point of view. So the experience, you know, was very homey. I mean, I knew, I probably, I knew tons of people that were at that show. 
ran into them here, ran into them there of various cliques and such a lot, just mostly from high school, but others as well. So the main thing that I remember, I mean, a couple of things from this day. It was pretty warm. This was like early June, but you know, very comfortable, not hot. It's not Phoenix. It's not Florida. It's Portland. And being that I did go back the next day, some of it, you know, is a is a bit of a blur, though I think I think I can parse it out for you. The way the logistics were, it was like the day after, I don't even, I think it was like the day that school ended or the next day or something like that. So a buddy of mine from college, which wasn't very far from Portland, it was an hour away, 45 minutes, but it was all back rural roads way before the phone, which is important. That comes in later. My buddy was from way upstate Washington, super rural. Um, and I, I will not mention any names, but I can say that he was from like the Olympic Peninsula area. And uh, we had gained uh, many miles together, as you might imagine, that first year in college. The rest of that group, the other one, two, three guys all went home. Two of them back to California and the other one um, back to Portland. So my one buddy, uh, he's going to the show. So he comes to my house. He drove us back to my parents' house you know, had dinner with the folks, that sort of thing. Um, got up the next day and drove his car. An early, like, probably a Subaru Forester or something like that. So we would have been like a, <laughs> probably late 80s Subaru wagon. Not an uncool car, though. Um, and, you know, this guy and I were, were good buddies um you know trust respect and like i say a lot of a lot of miles traveled together we crash out we get up we go the half hour 40 minutes or so to the show get parked go through the dead mall acquire various sundry concert essentials, shall we say, and begin the journey pretty early, I think. <clears throat> it's almost hard to, to imagine now uh, doing something like this with uh, you know, tens of thousands of people um, very little money, you know, resource, not just, just no worries. Anyway, my friend, um, you know, kind of, we just sort of dispersed at some point and again, no phones, no plans of how to meet up again or where we would meet or when, or if at all, you know, none of that shit. And I sat down in this grassy area and watched from like maybe 30 feet away, 21 yards, um, or the 21 feet. Very close, like right at the, right at the stage. Not a lot of people there watching Chuck fucking Barry. It was shady. I can only imagine now that, you know, Chuck Berry at that time probably just toured. He just got on a plane by himself and brought the, uh, the ES-335 and any decent backing band in America and a 
huge swaths of the civilized world could just pick up that moment and play all of those songs. Because he's not doing new stuff, right? It's Roll Over Beethoven. It's Johnny Be Good, Maybelline, My Dingling. And he, that's what he did. He played for maybe an hour and he played Johnny Be Good and Maybelline. And I just sat there like soaking every little bit of it up. And I, I guess at that point, you know, I really was not, I'd probably more have more respect and interest musically in the dead now than I, than I did then. It was mostly just an excuse to, to do some drugs, you know, get in an, in, in an adventure, which I most certainly did. That must've been maybe around, it started fairly early. Like I want to say maybe that was like 11, you know, maybe noon. Probably more like noon or one. That would make more sense. And then a couple more hours passed of just wandering through the circus. It is it is like a circus. I mean, everybody. This is where all, this is where your Burning Man and all that stuff originates. It's not Silicon Valley and rich people, and this should have absolutely nothing to fucking do with that. And I'm not being protective of it or defensive even I'm just the way that the I've seen in my adult life the history be altered as is enough for me to conclude that we don't really know anything about anything I don't I we just have to kind of take it at least I do at uh, face value that all right in 1946 in uh White Sands, New Mexico, they dropped, they did these experiments. Okay. A few years later, you know, Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and uh, Richie Valance. He's the other guy, right? Yeah. Um, they go down in a plane, you know, Lubbock, Texas. Okay. And I, even with, there has been some pretty, pretty good in some areas like you know retrospective rewriting revisionist history in places like this like rock history or what have you but being that uh the kissinger just died yesterday finally all those memes have to go now we still have keith richards though so the, those those memes will probably perseverate for a while longer you know, just forget about it uh, as far as having like a, a really accurate take on it. And for that matter, you know, having a really accurate take on the, the Von Braun, the, uh, the JPL, those two uh, Huntsville and Los Angeles. Fast forward to now. What the fuck really happened between then and now? To where, you know, whether it's Elon Musk or uh, Kim.com or um, this new, the, the various congressional hearings, you know, Tucker's onto it. It's, it's, it's out from under the carpet and it's moving towards us. And we don't really know if it's like an animatronic golem or if it has agency or if we're co-creating the whole thing. Like, it's, it's pretty uncertain. So I'm, And this is um, germane to, to the story. Forgive the digression there. So anyway, the concert goes on, and I don't remember. Should say I'm, I'm um, tripping balls, as they say. I don't remember anything from, in terms of like, which songs they played or anything. 
but I do remember crystal clarity wandering through that being my my job for the day wandering through because it was all like um on the grass you know there was i think there were maybe some bleacher like seeding things but I, not this was not a, a an auditorium type of show this was like a big van stand and a huge grassy area and everybody just wandering around so that's what i did for hours and i remember buying one bottle of water probably giving all of my money for that one bottle of water and I remember thinking constantly the entire day about Jesus Christ. And recall, like, you know, I went to church less than 10 times as a kid. My parents never took me. I was, uh, I would you, you crash at your buddy's house on Saturday, and then you realize, like, oh, they're going to church. Well, do you want to go? Uh, yeah, okay. That's about right. That's about the level of um, exposure to I had, exposure that I had to this. And whether it was this, the way the the acid was named, I mean, I'm sure that was a major piece of it. But you've probably heard, and I had, you know, one thing my parents did give me was a lot of exposure to the basics of the basic pitfalls follies of mental health like i knew about the idea of a messianic complex probably in middle school you know that was nothing all of that shit was just kind of common common knowledge understanding as i mentioned my grandfather was a psychiatrist medical doctor and i never met him but that influence uh, is where I, I think all of that came from. <clears throat> so I, I remember thinking, having this thought that, um, you know, this concept of Jesus is not, there's not this guy that's gonna show up in um, a toga or whatever, and wow, there's Jesus. It's rather that Jesus is in every single person here, including myself. And this was the trip, you know, this was, you take the trip and this is, it doesn't mean you're right, it doesn't mean you're wrong. And I didn't, you know, I didn't freak out about this. This wasn't a, you hear about these Hell, I mean, there was a guy around here not too long ago who was telling him, telling people he was Jesus Christ. That's it's almost like a code for like, oh, okay, you're crazy. And this was not that. This was a hundred percent deep, deep, deep trip, um, with you know near perfect central nervous system alignment management. And I'm not bragging, I'm just, not all of them were like that. At that period of time, you know, they were. But life goes on, you change, etc. So, all day long, wandering around, just pondering this. Like, huh, because this has never occurred to me before. No one ever, somebody probably, you know, put that seed in the, in the ground at some point. So, the day goes on, the concert ends, and the light, they, they ended the concert fairly early, you know, it was like, they, I mean, they were pretty old, they probably had to get back to the hotel and run some smack in their veins. But as I recall, the concert ended just before Right, like right at dusk. The way the parking was situated and the way this, this area of Portland Meadows is configured, it, um, 
it's on one side of I-5, right? And there's a tunnel that goes under I-5, as I recall, and I may have that wrong, but I think that's right. How, how the hell else would you have gotten over there? So massive gravel, gravel parking lots. Um, limited lighting and thousands of people flowing out underneath the fucking freeway. You can imagine that the Columbia River is a massive, there's, it, it's huge. Um, and Portland, yeah, the Willamette, you know, runs the other way and there's some, there was always some port-like activity, but most of this, you know, is really related to Astoria, which is over on the coast. It's the little city that's on the mouth of the Columbia. And you can take that all the way into Portland, dropping off your, um, your, what have you, your beaver pelts, your tea from, your pressed tea from Indochina, um, your Russian-made firearm cartridges, whatever. And you can, you know, run the lumber back out, I guess. So it's dusk. <clears throat> and there, there is a thing that was not spoken of necessarily, but in effect constantly at that time that it, I don't think exists anymore. And I don't... I don't see a lot of commentary on it. You get a little bit of the boomer sort of like, well, I remember I, like I do this, you know. Um, I can't live without my phone. I used to be able to just go anywhere. There, there's probably no way to even communicate to uh, the youngsters like what this thing was. And my best guess is that you know, you're talking about the green aether grid. You're talking about the way that human beings plugged into that and we were designed to. You're talking about something similar to the ability that dogs have, you know, to, or, or other birds, uh, peregrinations and such, right? Like, how do you navigate and time things and meet up with your buddies without, and, Pasolka makes this point that we mentioned recently. There was always some, some notion of a psychic network. And it's probably just the case that we externalized this thing that we experienced, but I don't know, for whatever fucking reason, I guess chose not to either really develop or we chose to work whatever developments, commentaries, skill sets, extrapolations upon this gift, this ability, were those crushed? Do we even, do we, do we even know, uh, have a whiff, an intimation that there was once such a, um, such a discussion amongst people? But if you think about it, you're walking out of this, now I'm in Portland. This is, my, my people have been there eight fucking generations. Like, there's something like a, a blood tie, you know, at the level of whatever DNA fucking oscillates at in relation to that land. There are little cities that my people, little townships and stuff that they made. So there's no question about there being some deep connection. But you're also talking about a 19-year-old kid I didn't spend a lot of time at the track. Um, I'm not David Milch in that sense. And, um, if you don't know the reference there, the, 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 the guy basically, you know, half grew up at the track there with his dad in, uh, Buffalo or just over the border, I think into Canada. So my dad didn't take me to the track. Um, I don't know that we'd ever been there together. And, uh, you know, I'm wasted. 
wasted on sun, dehydration, LSD 25. Well, somehow among these tens of thousands of people, you know, it, you, you find your buddy who I had not really spoken to, or I think I did run into him maybe, you know, at one point during the whole day. And there are these other little cliques, like I've mentioned, that you, you see. But, you know, everyone's flowing out and as the fates would have it, because it's not just the fates, you know. I, I'm not, I was, I've never been the type of person to stand there dumb, staring at the fucking trees or whatever. You, there's an element to this navigational orienteering apparatus that I think is I think maybe another hundred years we're gonna look back and realize oh wow we we really fucked this species up we fucked ourselves up bad right here because um, this thing goes has to be wired not only just to your central nervous system it may be the one of the main sort of numinous psychic connective mechanisms, not only to other people, but to <clears throat> the whole structure of existence and being itself. It's, uh, again, this, this, this gyroscope that I keep kind of pointing towards because it's the best I can do. Is anybody else doing any better? Fuck them. I'm doing the best I can here is there it's in you and you have to develop it um and you now you probably have to defend it and all sorts of other shit too but okay so again i'm 19 largely i mean in many ways like indestructible um i'd put that 19 year old self up against just about anything any human um so I'm not just staring at the trees, you know, they're, everybody that's like ants maybe, like your antennae are out, you're kind of probe, you're seeking, you're scanning, ah, there's my people. And I think you practice this, you know, over your childhood. Where's my dad? Where's my dad? Oh, there's my dad. Because your dad's out there like, where's my boy? Where's my boy? You're looking for each other. Isn't that kind of a, a rich metaphor for a lot of things? Yeah, I think it is. So you know what's going to happen. Uh, I find my buddy, and then we sort of link up with another group of dudes from, you know, kids from high school. And somebody whips out uh, a massive, high-powered chunk of marijuana. And uh, we ripped that and then go our separate ways. Off my friend and I go, you know, into the dark park, into the, like, to paint a picture, I mean, it's all, this parking area is not one giant area. It is many, many patches with thick stands of trees everywhere. So you'd imagine something closer to a maze. And then there are all these, you know, cars parked. So I don't remember which fucking of the various many little pod areas we're parked in. Nonetheless, somehow we find the fucking car. By now it's dark. We get in the car. And, uh. There, as mentioned, this is, you know, the outskirts, this is, um, the, the leading up to this industrial, massive industrial area, a world-class set of ports and whatnot. So what accompanies that? Railroads. We're on the far side of the freeway. And so the concert venue was on the other side of the freeway. And now we are, if you never, I should pause. So you, you may or may not have, 
been yourself in this particular chemical cocktail situation where you're at you're at the end of your trip and then you you get high it's like its own small galaxy you know of potential you're you are now sort of um, discombobulated in a way that maybe you... <laughs> it, it's hard to explain. But you're also clued in. You're, you're riding a fucking wave. So we're making our way out of the, these pods, you know. And somehow, some pretty immediately... I think we got onto some sort of a road and then made, made a wrong turn. It's got to be about nine. Talking to my buddy, you know, um, about what are you going to do? Are you going to crash at my house? No. He's going to drop me off at my parents' house and then continue on back to the dorm at our college as I mentioned, another hour away past my house. Absolutely fearless. I mean, no map. He'd made that drive a few times. But consider again the mental state. All back roads, no really, <laughs> real good signage. And it's not just like, well, just get on that main road and you're good. You have to make 15 or 20 different pretty darkened, you know, lonely road sort of turns to go that back way. At least then you did. I haven't been there in a long, long time. So we're talking about this sort of shit. And at some point, um, you know, we're stopped and I, I sort of look up and I realize that we are at the, the crossing guard in front of the train tracks and the the lighted thing you know the arm comes down in front ning 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 and um i'm in the passenger seat i look off to my right and down there is the train like, huh here comes the train and I look again at the, the crossing guard arm and I, and I see like another one, or how did it work? I, I think what I realized was that I looked in the, in the side view mirror and I realized there was one, a crossing guard arm behind us that was coming down. turn around and, and I I do the math you know the slow to realize that we are parked between the two arms that there is an arm behind the car and an arm in front of the car and that we are on the tracks between the two arms. Ning, 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 lights flashing. And off to my right. Big light. So here's the whole point of the story. I look over at my friend driving and he's just looking dead ahead. He has no idea that we're on the fucking tracks, that there is a train screaming towards us. Certain death. He has no idea. I look into the my little side mirror, you know, 
again. And I see that it's, it's all dark behind us. There's no other car out there. There's no cars anywhere. But there are two small, they must have been at some time, some sort of um, service station of, of a sort, but it's two small buildings under these overgrown trees directly behind us so across that that back street and there's this there's a little margin between these two buildings you know probably three feet when i say service building i have really no idea they they seem like the kind of place where you'd have some union administrative little office where nothing really gets done, you know, for years on end. And then eventually the building just doesn't get used. This building was not used. They were not, they were run down, completely dark and old. Um, probably not in operation for a long time. And I'm still not, you know, nothing's really getting done in this moment. In my memory, everything happens. It's the moment, but it's, there's some type of sequence to it. So I see the situation again. And I turn to look at my buddy and say, you know, something like, dude. And as I turn my head to the left, I had this feeling of an electric uh, bolt come into my left arm. And it was like something kind of snapped. I'm sure that, you know, this would be explained by some sort of a pinch nerve or whatever, but the entirety of my left arm went, became alive. Like a fire shot down every cell. And I felt every sinew and I looked at my arm. And no, it wasn't glowing or anything, but that wasn't the level that I was really on. I mean, I was in that somatic body state, if you will, I think most of the time when I was 19. I mean, I think that's largely where I lived. And that was just, it was pure fire from, you probably, you know, it felt like it emanated up into the left side of my head. And this whole, it was as if the left side of my body had never been awake before. And in that moment, it woke and I looked at my friend and I realized that we were going to die because he was not responding. He was, um, you know, sort of catatonic. And then in the sequence, all within a very couple of seconds, I looked back into this mirror and I turned my head back that way and I see a man stride out from this three-foot margin between these old derelict buildings. Tall, you know, I, I, a lot of detail was not available. Long hair, like probably 6'4 or something, and, and just cross that street, not running, but like uh, with, with supernatural purpose. <laughs> what else can I say? It wasn't a huge street. It wasn't like a big intersection or something, but it was a, you know, full 20 foot, maybe wide strip of asphalt. 
and instantly the dude is on that arm the flashing arm and he is he has hoisted that motherfucker up i slap my buddy and i put the car in reverse for him and i say hit the gas and and the fucking train is to be honest i don't i don't remember like in the movies, right, that's, that's like, oh, oh, it's closer and closer. They tie him all that shit perfectly. In, in reality, it wasn't like that. It was as if that death threat was just, it is. It's irrelevant. You're not going to stop. That is, that is one of those things where, like, don't worry about those things you cannot control. That's what it was. My buddy looks over at me. Oh, okay. Puts it in, you know, uh put you know can reaches around to look behind him puts himself into reverse is what i was going to say reverses through and as we pass i look out of um my open window here at the figure who has like shorts and a t-shirt on you know general would have fit in with the crowd behavior and he's He's got his left hand is hoisting like up on the arm and then he's pushing, pushing down with his right arm and he's, he's all kind of involved in this, you know, upholding this thing. And so he's kind of twisted. So he turned, so he's looking away from me, but he's looking back over his shoulder. And as we pass, I see no face. But he nods. And being that I'm not a little girl in a movie, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, what's her name in Scream? I'm not, I'm, I'm me. I, I had no um, freak out sort of reaction. I understood fully that everything that had just transpired was out of another world, another set of possibilities. And later on, you know, over the next 30 years, when I pondered this, I can build out much of that story, much of, if this is the case, then, um, you know, there's, certain wrong turns there's certain choices there's other ways to sort of fill in the gaps you know one of those ways of course is just to say wow you must have been pretty loaded well yes and no uh, in my experience which is vast in this particular area I have never hallucinated anything I've never I don't think that that actually happens. I think that people who say they hallucinate things, you know, they, that's their experience of it. But what really happened was their central nervous system tripped, they freaked out, or they went somewhere. And the forces you say that are themselves, the part that says, uh, man, you just flow versus the other part where you look at it and you say, well, I guess that thing just flows. In people who quote, really, you know, you can, you can look at the carpet and it will swim or you can look, but the, like, uh, what's the movie with Hunter S. Thompson? where you're seeing he's in the Las Vegas nightclub or um, casino and everybody has turned into some sort of reptile. It's not quite like that. It's, it's that you are participating in a sort of story and you see it and then you flash back and you realize, wow, that's weird. I'm on drugs. You're not all of a sudden convinced that 
but that 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 itself gets completely into intentions, character, all sorts of shit, how what other types of drugs have been mixed in, etc. So suffice to say that you know, and you could explain the story away just like that, but I can only tell you that that was not the case. The train didn't have any weird features. The rest of that man didn't have any weird features. The car did not. My friend did not. My, my hands did not. Everything else is perfectly crystal fucking clear. If you've ever been on these drugs, you know that mostly until you get to maybe 200 mics, it's the light that changes and it's your, it's your somatic body that changes. And I don't think I was at 200 mics at all. Certainly not by that point in the day. And when I say no face, I just mean a sort of blurry spot straight out of, um, you know, various moments in, in Lynch, in Lynch movies. So I sort of nod at the dude. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. The car gets, uh, my buddy, we, you know, backs the car up enough. The dude sets the arm down, doesn't look back just walks off on that side of the street, does not return back to that weird margin between two buildings that is totally encased in darkness where no one else is. And this guy was not, this is not now. That's another weird feature of the story. Now, all these videos that you watch about Portland, much of the, many of those hobo encampments are located in that very spot, up by Marine Drive, across from Portland Meadows. Probably some of the worst is out there in those trees, in these parking lots that I'm talking about. But that was not the case then. There were no hobos out there. I mean, there, were, there was probably one or two hobos, of course, but this guy was not a hobo. He had no backpack. He had fucking Birkenstocks on, shorts. You would think, well, I guess he was there for the dead show. What the fuck was he doing? in this mart it's none of the none of those things you, i did i spent a decade or more rewinding replaying reinvestigating questioning doubting so he walks off on just parallel you know and then literally just disappears into the night Buddy gets the car, we cross through, make it home completely without an incident, drops me off, and then he went on. It would have been 10.30 or so at night. Far from his own home, having only made that trek a handful of times, maybe, I don't even, he had driven it, but not alone. I check in with him, you know, the next day. Yeah, made it home just fine. Crashed out. Drove his ass back uh, to his home in Washington. And I got home and laid in bed and did not sleep the rest of the night. Puzzling over what just happened and why is my left hand alive? Why is my left arm alive? seemingly for the first time. When I say that arm was filled with fire, you know, I mean electric aether fire. I, you know, how do you think I got here? I didn't just fucking watch Twin Peaks and then decide, yeah, it's probably a pretty good explanation. And I puzzled over it for 25 fucking years. And then I learned to uh, eat with my left hand, write with my left hand, shoot a basketball with my left hand, all sorts of shit. And along the way, I have come to have a little bit more uh, open-mindedness towards this idea that maybe what we're dealing with when we deal with UFOs is is not maybe the whole game here 
was to get you to think about little green men, was to think, that's fucking ridiculous. We've already closed the door on fairies and um, gnomes and dwarves and such. So we, we know that they'll close the door on that again. As opposed to somehow you and me and all of us are enmeshed in a sort of safety zone outside of which may very well be the fucking Architron of McCarthyan description. And it may very well be Christ who whose love, I guess, upholds and makes secure this zone. Thus, he would be a king in our our old ways of conceptualizing these things. You don't become a king because you're fucking cool. You become a king because you provide. You make absolutely sure that your people are taken care of. None of that really, you know, pieced itself together at the time, but it was all there. It, 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 was, it was all of these pieces were floating, okay, in front of me. I'm not just... If you've ever come down from drugs like this, you can get into a place where thoughts, you know, the, the little pinhole through which thoughts are extruded into your consciousness that will widen such that like seven thoughts are coming through at a time and they just keep coming for hours. So all of this was, it was as if, you know, after um, an incident, a shooting or something, you rewind and rewind and rewind. And as I was saying, my sympathy for the idea that um, there are things that happen let's say that that is you know it's um, it's like a child trying to speak to another child and we don't know what the fuck we're going to say but the notion that we have this adult has gotten us to where we are at now and the dismissal of your basic experience too what right what does what does mccarthy say the coward first betrays himself okay the stories are to get you to betray yourself. And that's what most of this cultural fucking divide is. It used to be, right, that um, your, your crew cut fucking dipshit Californian or Texan was going to shit on the fucking hippie utopian vision thing. And now you have a, kind of a swapping of the two where now the yuppie leftist is going to shit on the conservative right-wingy idea will there be demons and shit the interior exterior divide is uh, the place and so as a child like as a, a childlike attempt at communication I'll, I'll close here to say that we seemingly participate in these things together and you can do a lot by, by your on your lonesome so to speak but you can only do so much and then when you get people together and they start believing together dreaming together more happens and in many ways that's what the whole grateful dead thing was and i would suggest to you that a re getting rid of again the category the categories reconceptualizing as supernature instantly uh man you lose like 98 percent of the anxiety 75 percent of the confusion and um, 
you do return to both, you know, something that's like, what do they call it? A narco future, you know, you, you're right here. It's not the trad and I'm, I'm just kind of LARPing at this and it's not the fucking fearful technocrat. Oh my God, we're all going to die. Oh my God, it's all meaningless. Oh fuck. So there you go. Absorber. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. We will be back with uh, the fourth day of Warhorse shortly.